Uh, well, folks, um, as I get myself sorted, I hope you've had a good morning, open presents and all that sort of fun sort of stuff. Uh, we did a bit of ours last night. We had a great kids' uh, family service last night. It was fair to say, uh, I don't know, wild. Um, so this morning we're a bit more calm. We're happy though. We've had a happy time, which is good. So if you would like to, if you, as you walked in, you've got a, um, uh, an out, uh, a service bulletin. If you wanted to grab that open, there's an outline of what I'm going to be talking about for the next few minutes. And then if you have a Bible, uh, open up to Matthew chapter, uh, well, Matthew chapter 2 is helpful. There we go. Well, there are some great, uh, great pictures that go around the net this time of year of, I guess, what do you call them? Scary, uh, sketchy Santas with, uh, with disappointed and, well, let's just say frightened children. Let, let me show you a few of them. Um, so here's, yes, you've seen that one already. Let me show you this one here. There we go, another one. <laughs> This could be your child, of course, any particular year. Actually, there's a great one that my, my, um, my family... Actually, uh, I'll just... Um, I'll tell you about one before we keep going. Um, there's a great one that my, a friend of a, a family put out each year, and it has three very frightened and scary children all sitting together. But they're pretty similar to these ones. Um, here's a, OK, Rod, if you want to control it, I'll, I'll, I'll put that down. There's the next one. That's the they're very happy Santa. Would you hand your child over to that, that person? We'll go to the next one. Ah, my last one. That's the, the Rasputin-type Santa. The, the, and the last one. Yeah, that is generally scary, isn't it? There you go. Um, and sh yes, there's the last one. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I do like that one. Is there another one, Rob? That, that's it. Okay, that's great. You know, the, even from a young age, you know, we um, as humans can place our hope in things that can let us down. Uh, disappoint or, dare I say, frighten us as well. For many people, Christmas is a time of hope. That's what it is. Uh, a believing in the light at the end of the tunnel. Hope in humanity, uh, the goodness of the world, giving in generosity, happiness and joy, peace, family and togetherness, uh, celebration, all those good things. But I'm wondering, how dependable is this hope that we talk about and uh, think about and feel at Christmas time? Uh, is it certain? Would you bank on it? Uh, or will it fade or disappoint? Is this a hope that you can bet your life on, this hope we talk about at Christmas? What if, like many, at Christmas time I feel lonelier than ever? and I'm struggling to find joy. Or I'm poor, and I can't afford the gifts that the kids want. Uh, giving, that's just out of the question. Or what if Christmas means that I know that my family just doesn't measure up? Mine's not like the ones on TV, uh, all smiley and happy. My family and togetherness, well, you've got to be kidding me. It's... Or what if Christmas is just like any other day? and I'm just struggling getting by. What hope is there for me at Christmas time? Well, the Christmas story we read in the Bible tells us that the world was sent hope, 
hope in the form of a man who is God, Jesus. Hope that is certain, hope that won't disappoint or fall short or fade away. There is a light at the end of the tunnel and the Bible says that that light has come. So today, I want us to think a little bit more about the Christmas story and the real and certain hope that was born on that day. We're going to get to know some characters in the Christmas story. We've already mentioned a few um, in our little uh, nativity scene. So we're going to get stuck into that a little bit. So we're going to turn to Matthew 2, if you haven't done that already, if you've got a Bible, otherwise just listen carefully. And first of all, we're going to meet, well, we're, we're going to meet some characters that, uh, that Jesus and his parents met. Some, some strange and, um, well, let's just call them some strange customers, really, weren't they? These magi from the east. They're our first characters we're going to meet. Some translations uh, use the title wise men to describe these guys. But magi is the better translation, although that doesn't mean that they were not wise. Magi were astrologers. Magicians, even. Advisors. They were counsellors in that sense. They were often people of influence. So they would, they would be people that a king would turn to for an interpretation, say an interpretation of a dream. So a good example is back in uh, Daniel chapter 2, if you've heard of that story of Daniel, and he, and he has to interpret uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, the east, by the way, remember that? Uh, but the, these magi couldn't do it. And so they call on Daniel to interpret this, this dream, and the man of God, Daniel, does. So they were people of influence. Uh, they, they weren't kings. So you can rule out any historical accuracy in the old carol, uh, We Three Kings of Orient Are, Bearing Gifts We Traverse Afar, Field and Fountain, Moor and Mountain, Following Yonder Star. In fact, there's every chance that there are a whole lot more than three. Uh, you'd need... You'd need more than that to get the attention of the great King Herod. Now, my guess is, and historical information tells us, that there may well have been anywhere from 10 to even 50 magi all travelling together. And while we're at it, I hate to say it, they probably weren't on camels. I know. And I couldn't, yeah. They were, they were probably more likely on horses. Because... Uh, that was custom for people from the east. They were horse people. They were from Persia, from Babylon. They were from Iraq. That's where they were from. Horse people, not so much camel people, and definitely not elephant people. Um, <laughs> but something much more important is worth pointing out, and that is that in the Old Testament, astrology or astrologers are not to be confused with astronomy or magi, they're never seen in a very good light. They're always pretty much seen in a negative light, negatively. For example, astrologers are the object of the prophet Isaiah's ridicule, speaking of the impending fall of Babylon, that godless city, and their dependence on such futile superstition. So Isaiah 47 verse 13 uh, says, All the counsel you have received has only worn you out the counsel from the astrologers. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you for what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble and fire will burn them up. And even in Jeremiah chapter 8, uh, the Lord speaks of the evil of Judah, the people of God, 
who worship and consult and serve the moon and stars of the heavens rather than the true and living God. So not very positive, is it? So here's our big question. If you're someone following the outline there, and there's a gap on your outline, you can write the big question in if you want to write it in. Here it is. Why did God use astrologers, magi, from pagan, non-believing Babylon to introduce the saviour of the world, God's son? Why did God use them? It seems a little bit strange, don't you think? We're going to come back to that question. So, remember it. Something else you probably um, were wondering as well. What did these magi see in the sky? And more importantly, how did they get it right? Well, many people over the years have taken a stab at what the magi have seen. Uh, from planetary conjunctions of Saturn and Jupiter to the possibility of Halley's Comet. I remember seeing Halley's Comet when I was very young. It was very underwhelming. It was a tiny little thing in the background in the, in the sky. But anyway, maybe it was a nova. So a nova is a, a temporary star that appears due to an explosion. I think that's what a nova is. The truth is, we're not really sure what they saw. Was it miraculous? I think so. Verse 2 says, they understood it to be his star, Jesus' star. So I think they knew what they saw. They saw Jesus' star. But I think the more important question is, how did they end up in the right spot anyway? These astrologers, these magi from this pagan land. And what does it mean that they got it right? They got the house right. Now certainly God can use bad things, mistaken beliefs, the superstition of astrology, uh, for good, can't he? Uh, look at the cross of Jesus Christ. The, that's bad, Jesus being crucified for our good. And certainly we've got to remember the sovereignty of God, that God controls all things for his purposes. But in the end, it was not astrology that led them to Jesus anyway. It was the word of God. It was God himself. Remember back in Matthew chapter 2, so we read it before, verses 4 and 5, the chief priests and the religious heavies had been summoned by Herod so he could find this king of the Jews. So he could find Jesus. And don't be fooled by Herod's pious response in verse 8, so that I too may worship him. Yeah, sure. Uh, he had much more sinister things in mind. The chief priests and teachers of the law read Herod a section from Micah 5 um, with a bit of 2 Samuel 5 mixed in as well. It's Matthew chapter 2 verse 6. Again, we read it earlier. But you, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So, by God's doing, Herod sent them. So verse 8 tells us. Herod sent them. And they ended up at the right house. But again, what does that mean that they ended up here? And when they did, they were overjoyed and they bowed down and they worshipped. See, I reckon, my hunch is, that they realised that this baby was more than a Jewish king. I reckon they realised that this was more than a Jewish matter. This king had something to do with them these magi from pagan Babylon. This king, indeed, has something to do with us. Now, let's look at another character in this story. What about King Herod? 
Again, sadly, King Herod doesn't make it to the nativity scene. Herod the Great, as history knows him. He was born in about 73 BC. Uh, so by the time Jesus was born, that makes him a pretty old man. He was clever. He was ruthless. He was a great administrator, we're told. He subjected exceedingly heavy taxes on the people. And he was despised by his Jewish subjects. Remember, of course, that Jerusalem was living under or living under Roman occupation at the time. Now, towards the end of his life, he suffered from great paranoia. So much so that we're told that he murdered one of his wives and two of his sons. Now, the next little section in Matthew 2 tells us more of Herod's evil. Now, verse 16. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. That's brutal. Brutal. And again, paranoia. See, back in verse 3, we're told that this great and powerful man was disturbed by the news that Jesus had been born. Now, the Greek word, the New, Te the New Testament, Matthew's written in this ancient Greek, the Greek word can also be translated a troubled or upset, terrified or frightened even. So, this baby born in a feeding trough in a small, nothing-really town has caused this great, powerful king to be troubled, frightened even. Uh, wow. <laughs> well, was it just a political threat uh, that he was imagining, or was there possibly something bigger going on? Final character in the story. It's not actually mentioned in the story, this person. Apart from a small reference from the Micah 5, quote, at the end of verse 6, who is it? It's God. <laughs> God is not specifically spoken of in this story. But of course, he's throughout the whole story, isn't he? So what's God doing here then? What's he doing? Why Magi? Let's go back to it. Why astrologers, pagans from Babylon, to introduce his son? the saviour of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who has come to save his people from their sins. What's the message we ought to hear this morning? Well, friends, the answer, I think, is in verses 10 and 11. Listen again to what it says. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his, with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, the Old Testament speaks, the Old Testament prophets speak uh, or spoke of an expectation of a time when every knee would bow to God's king. When all people, even the wise and powerful, from every land, from all races, every knee shall bow and surrender their riches and confess the, God's king. See, the story of the Magi from the East is a foretaste of what God is doing in this world by his king, by his son, Jesus. This is a message that actually ought to make the proud and powerful tremble. For although all will one day bow before God's king, only those who trust in God's king will be saved. So here's, here's how what one commentator put it. 
uh, two responses, really. The first response is what he called shaken and not stirred. Must have been a Bond fan, I suppose. Anyway, you see, Jerusalem, like Herod, was shaken by the coming of King Jesus, but not stirred to move. They, didn't, they weren't stirred to trust. They weren't stirred to, to worship. The theologians that Herod gathered together were even happy to quote the Old Testament prophecies concerning this coming king, but they did not stir. They did not go and visit the king. They were too busy. Uh, there was too much going on. They were too important. It was too costly to meet and to worship this king. Friends, are you like this today? We've heard a great story. Uh, some interesting facts. I've even turned you off some, some great old carols. Anyway, um, you probably enjoyed before. You're possibly even shaken, or at least moved, but you're hesitant to stir. Do you fall into that category, maybe? See, the second response is a better one, isn't it? The second response, the message for us here, is that anyone can come to the Lord Jesus. Anyone. Anyone can come to this king. That's the message behind the Magi's visit. No matter where you're from, pagan Babylon even, no matter what colour your skin, no matter what age, whether you've got money or with none, Jesus doesn't say no to anyone. What's more, whether you're an astrologer who puts their trust in the created things rather than the creator, or you're just a run-of-the-mill sinner like me, anyone can come to the Lord Jesus and be forgiven, saved, welcomed by his death on the cross. If you put your trust in this king, well, then you've got cause for humble confidence. What you have is a real and certain hope, a living hope in the living Lord Jesus that won't disappoint, that will never perish, spoil or fade. The baby that changed the world is real hope to the world, a real and certain hope of forgiveness of sin, of friendship and worship of the king who rules forever. Friends, I want to tell you that Jesus is a hope that you can bet your life on, that you can give your life to. And Christmas, oh, it might, it might disappoint. The things of this world might disappoint, Santa's included. Families may disappoint. Wealth and gifts will get broken, possibly even on Christmas Day itself. Uh, as is often the case with children's toys, isn't it? But gifts fade away, but the love of God in his son Jesus will not. Why don't we pray? I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen. Uh, I'm going to pray this prayer, and we'll all close our eyes and bow our heads, just a sign of, well, helps us to concentrate, and a sign of respect. But this is what I'm going to pray in a minute. And you might want to pray this prayer in your mind. Um, Lord God, creator of the heavens and earth, you have shaken me today. Please stir in me to worship King Jesus, to give my life to him who is my hope. Lord, I'm sorry for the times I've ignored you. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending your son to die for me, that I may be forgiven and have real hope. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me, that I might live with Jesus as my king. See, we had those two 
options before about how we respond to Jesus, don't we? We had an option of uh, responding like this and the responding of not being stirred. Uh, maybe this is an opportunity for us today to actually respond the way Jesus would love us to and to come to him and put our trust in him. Let me pray this prayer and you can pray it in your mind as, we, uh, as I pray. Lord God, creator of heavens and the earth, you have shaken me today. Please stir in me to worship King Jesus, to give my life to him who is my hope. Lord, I'm sorry for the times I've ignored you. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending your son to die for me, that I may be forgiven and have real hope. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me, that I might live with Jesus as my king. Amen. If that's something that you prayed honestly to God, maybe even for the first time, gee, I'd love to know about it. Uh, there's, there's a number of people who, who are here, who are regulars here, would love to know about it too. But one easy way to do that is to fill in this little comment card and then um, there's a white box at the back. Put it there and I'd love to get in touch with you and talk to you about it and, uh, and help you through that. Michelle.